Well, good morning again. <clears throat> Thankful that you're here today. Um, and as we begin the day, I want to—I don't want to ruin the moment, but I—I want to just—I was just observing as our kids were coming to bring up their money this morning, and was just—I love this that moment in our worship service every week. But it struck me differently this morning that as long as we've been doing that, it's a kind of a small miracle that some disaster has not broken out on some Sunday morning uh, as we're doing that and inviting our kids to come and speak because there is always a little bit of like chaos, but it's kind of like fun chaos, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. So I'm grateful for all of you who have participated over the years in sending your kids, and I know my kids have had people hand money to them and send, it, send them down, and so what a, what a blessing to see our kids come with joy to give their money to the Lord. Amen? Amen? All right. Y'all are a little sleepy this morning. Y'all are going to wake up. Uh, as I, come on now, James. As I begin, I want to I want to say also that our church family is so fortunate to have um, so many different people that can teach and preach and communicate God's Word. Last week, while my family was out on vacation, uh, Stuart McGregor filled in for me and preached uh, in our series that we're in. He, he talked about another phrase that is not in the Bible that people use sometimes, money is the root of all evil. Uh, and what the Bible actually says, we learned last week, is that the love of money is the root of all evil. And so... It was insightful and challenging, and I want to publicly thank Stuart for, uh, for stepping in and preaching for me last week. Uh, it was a blessing to hear, be able to hear that. You can check that out on our podcast. I don't, for some reason, the live stream didn't work last week, but I know it's on the, uh, the audio versions on the podcast. Um, we have two weeks left in this series, this Sunday and, and next Sunday, and then uh, that'll take us through the first part of August, but on August the 14th, uh, is our annual back-to-school Sunday. And so I want to I just say a word about that as we kind of prepare for back-to-school Sunday. I want to invite you and ask you to do something. Um, I want to ask that you be thinking now and praying now about who you will invite to be with us on August the 14th. Uh, if you've been around for a while, you know this is a long-standing tradition in our church family. On a Sunday right before school starts, we, we gather uh, Everything will be mostly normal with worship, but we always spend some time on Back to School Sunday specifically praying for our students, for teachers, for school employees uh, as they begin a new school year. And so uh, it's an easy, really an easy time. Sometimes, you know, if you're going to invite somebody to come to church with you, you're like, I don't know, is it like when do I do that and how do I make that invitation? And so sometimes it's helpful to have kind of a special event like a VBS or a Back to School Sunday or something like that. And so I want you to take advantage of that. I want you to think about who in your life might be encouraged by coming to be a part of that day and invite them to come be with us for worship that morning on August the 14th. And I know uh, that it will be a blessing to you and to them and to all who are here. It's always a, a special day. Uh, each, each year, if you've not been a part of that before, our, our walks, the two walls over here are lined with pictures of kids that people take and pray for throughout the school year. And so uh, over the next couple of weeks, we'll, you'll be hearing a lot more, seeing some emails and some stuff about that so that your kids can be a part of that prayer wall and be, uh, be prayed for over the, the school year. So um, that's, that's all I have in terms of announcements or just things I want to plug. I want to ask if you would uh, pray with me again as we open God's Word together. Father, we, we thank you for Again, just for the privilege to be here this morning, to gather together in worship, uh, we, we ask now, Father, as we study your word together, as we look at another half-truth 
that exists in our culture that you will give us ears to hear and eyes to see all that you want us to hear and see and give us hearts that are willing and open to receive what it is you want us to receive. Now we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So last week uh, while we were on vacation, we stopped at a restaurant to eat and in the restaurant, the walls were covered with Chuck Norris jokes. Now, I know that many of you probably know who Chuck Norris is, but in the off chance that someone doesn't know who he is, he's an actor, a martial artist. He became known through his acting for his toughness, his attitude during his time on TV. And and, and so in recent years, there's been this cultural kind of phenomenon that has grown, as, and it's known as these Chuck Norris jokes, or Chuck Norris facts, some people call them. And, and they're all built off this sort of tough, macho persona that Chuck Norris, you know, projected in his acting. Uh, they're all hyperbole, they're blown way out of proportion, and they're intended to be funny. And at this restaurant, they were covering the wall. And at this point, in kind of, you know, the, the story of these, of the cultural history of these Chuck Norris jokes, they've kind of taken on a life of their own. And I have a couple of examples that I wanted to share with you of what a Chuck Norris joke is in case you've not ever seen one. So this is one. It says, Chuck Norris doesn't wear a watch. He decides what time it will be. All right, the next one is, I think we've got several slides, the boogeyman hides under his bed from Chuck Norris. The next one is, giraffes were created when Chuck Norris uppercutted a horse. (laughs) I think I have one more This is a good one, too. Chuck Norris once fought Superman. The loser had to wear his underwear over his pants. (laughs) So you get the idea, right? And um, and so I I snapped some, found some pictures of some of these. Some of these were the actual ones that were in that restaurant, and I found those. But uh, there are some pretty funny ones out there. Some of you, I I need to acknowledge, at this point forward, will not hear anything else I said because you're going to be thinking about the fact that Doug just used Chuck Norris jokes as an illustration in his sermon. So get past that so we can keep thinking about uh, Scripture together. But while it might seem like an odd stretch to kind of think about Chuck Norris jokes and how they apply to what I'm going to talk about, while I was looking at these last week and I was laughing at them, I thought about our sermon series. And I thought about the fact that what we've been talking about all summer long are these statements that exist in our world that are not true. And it occurred to me that what people have done with Chuck Norris is similar to what people do with the Bible. Saying something that isn't true, but repeating it like it is. And with the jokes, at least you know, you assume, everybody knows, right, that they aren't true because they're a joke. But the things that people say about God, about the Bible, they don't always get the same treatment. A lot of times they're just accepted wholesale, accepted as the truth. People say things like, God will never give you more than you can handle, or forgive and forget, or God helps those who help themselves. One that I've intentionally saved for the last sermon in this series that we'll talk about next week, everything happens for a reason, not in the Bible. And so come back next week to hear more about that. But these phrases get used, and they get used like they're in the Bible, with confidence, with certainty. They're spoken over people's lives, but they're not actually there. And they've all been ascribed to God or to the Bible, and, and as we've talked about this summer, over, over time, they've kind of, many of them have taken on a life of their own. They can be hurtful in some situations if they're not used in the right way or they're used in an inappropriate time. And so today we're going to take a look at a phrase that It's probably a phrase that you've heard. Maybe it's a phrase you've used. 
heart yourself. And that phrase is this, follow your heart. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Follow your heart is a statement that, as I was thinking about kind of when it gets used, it's a statement that people use oftentimes when they're giving advice. When they're, when they're suggesting something to you or encouraging you in some way. Maybe you hear it if you're receiving counsel from someone. One of the times of the year I think you hear a lot, hear a lot, is around graduation. Is every year students are ending their school year, beginning to think about what's next. And, and well-meaning people say to these young, impressionable 18-year-olds, just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. Listen to your heart. I saw it, actually saw it recently mentioned by someone when they were wishing another person happy birthday. And they said these exact words. They said, stay humble and always trust your heart, which is another version of follow your heart. And, and of course, I saw it on Facebook, which means if it's on Facebook, it's got to be true, right? Of course, that's wrong. But this statement isn't in the Bible. And so I want to talk about it this morning. And I realize as we think about this phrase, follow your heart, it's possible that some listening here in the room, somebody that might listen to this later, might hear this statement and think, I don't really see what the problem is initially, right? And maybe initially it doesn't sound even like a big deal. And while in some ways it might feel less problematic than some of the other things that we've looked at this summer, I would say that in addition to the fact that it's not in the Bible, the problem with this statement is that it reveals the way that people often think about the heart. It reveals the way, I think, a dominant way in culture that people think about the heart. And the way that people often talk about the heart is not the way that the Bible talks about the heart. And we're going to look at some places that the Bible talks about the heart. But I want to start with one that is maybe pretty familiar to some in Proverbs chapter 3 that says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. The Bible says to not depend on your heart. To not follow your heart. To trust the Lord with your heart. And why does the writer of the proverb say this? Because he knows that our hearts are not trustworthy. That our hearts can deceive us. That your heart will not always lead you to the right place. There is this faulty assumption in culture that your heart will always lead you well. You've probably noticed that there's this religion that's crept up in our culture over the last several decades. It's growing every day. It's rampant, quite honestly, in our culture, in our world today. The, the, the religion of individualism. People just listen to the voice in their own heart, and that is what determines what is right and what is wrong. And what's right for me might not be right for you, and what's wrong for you might not be wrong for me. I'm the authority. I'll figure it out. And people will say things like, if a person just looks inside themselves, they will find it within themselves, the ability to always choose the best thing. And I don't want to come across as like overly harsh about this, so know that I'm attempting to be gentle and kind when I say this, but it's arrogant to think that, I think. Like we can all step into the trap of thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to. We struggle, I would even say, to be honest about our hearts. We think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. 
The fact is, if I'm just talking about my life, if I followed my heart and did some of the things that my heart suggested I do, it would not be pretty. And I'm just being honest. I want you to think about your life for a second. And be honest with yourself. Right? Those thoughts that nobody else knows, because you wouldn't dare tell anybody, that randomly pop into your mind. When the enemy whispers to you, fulfill that desire. Do that. Take that. Pursue that. Maybe it has to do with an attitude. Sometimes my heart wants to stay mad about something. If I followed my heart and I did what I wanted to do, honestly, I'm just being honest, I'm just starting the confessional process this morning. If I did what my heart wanted to do, I would never pursue forgiveness. Because my heart, I know, resists it. Because I want to be right. And sometimes when you forgive someone, it admits that you are wrong. And so there's this reconciliation and forgiveness process that has to happen. And I imagine that you can relate to that. Your heart doesn't want you to forgive that family member, that neighbor, that person that used to be a close friend that said or did something hurtful. If we left it up to our heart and found it within ourselves, we might never forgive. But the Bible is actually more honest about our hearts than we are, more truthful about our hearts than we are about our own hearts. Listen to a few places that the Bible talks about our hearts. The first one I want to look at is in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, where it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The heart is dishonest, it says. It lies. It can and has misled you. Right? What the Bible really seems to say over and over and over again, as you're going to see here in a couple seconds, is that the heart is the problem, not the answer. Or think about David when he wrote Psalm 51, verse 10. The psalm says this, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do you remember when David wrote these words? David had seen another man's wife, had taken advantage of her, got her pregnant, and then killed her husband to try and cover up his sin. Following what his heart wanted led him to the lowest, one of the lowest moments in his life. And after Nathan the prophet confronts him about it, he cries, Oh God, what have I done? My heart is dark. It isn't pure. It isn't clean. Create a new heart in me. Or in the New Testament, when Paul is reflecting on the hearts of human beings and the ways that humans rebel against God, he said this in Romans chapter 1, verse 24. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. Our hearts desire what it, to do things that are opposed to God. Think about in your own life, again, the way that people have been hurt. Wrongs have been committed. Lives have been wounded because people followed their heart. And Jesus even spoke about this. So if nothing else that I've shared so far convinces you, hear Jesus' words from Mark chapter 7. He says, For it is from within out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, 
greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Our experience, if, we, if we're honest, tells us that this is true, doesn't it? Every one of us can look at our lives and we can recall moments when our heart led us in the wrong direction. Moments that we wish we had a chance to do something over in a situation that we had followed our heart, and now in refle- upon reflection we wish we could do that over because it felt good in the moment or it, we wanted to do it. Right? And it can be really small things like, you know, I wanted that double cheeseburger, and then later you realize, I shouldn't have done that. My heart told me to, and you're like, that was a terrible decision. And other times the stakes are obviously much higher. There's a song that we sing sometimes called, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And I kept thinking about this song in preparation for today. Some of the lyrics of this song may be some of my all-time favorite lyrics in a hymn because, personally, they, of how true they are for me. I want you to listen to how this, the writer of this song speaks about the heart. We're just going to look, I think this is the first and like the fourth verse and then the chorus. It says, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. That's God. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wonder? Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Here's my heart, O take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. If we're honest, each of us knows the reality that our hearts are prone to wander, prone to leave the God that we love. We feel it at times, right? We know our heart has the potential to become hard. Resistant to the work of the Holy Spirit. And that word fetter that shows up in the song, it's not a word we use anymore, but you know what a fetter is? It's a shackle. It's an ankle restraint for, that's used for a prisoner. God, It's essentially saying, God, let your goodness shackle itself to me. Bind itself to my wandering heart. We want hearts, our hearts, To be yours, O God, and yours alone. This is our prayer. This is our aim. And so the question that remains is how do we get there? Well, the answer, while it's going to sound exactly like you probably expected me to say this morning, the answer is to shift our focus from following my heart to following Jesus. It's a really simple change in words. It's just a couple of words different in those two phrases. But I'm not, I want to kind of tease that out just a second because I'm not just talking about casually following Jesus. When I say follow Jesus, I'm talking about surrendering your life to Jesus, letting Jesus have the final say over your decisions, daily decisions over the big things in your life so that when there are choices to be made, My way or the way of Jesus, Jesus' way wins out every single time. Will I forgive this person or will I not? The answer is I will. 
I will choose every time to do it because Jesus has been made the Lord of my life. Will I go the way of Christ or will I go my own way? We choose the way of Christ. Here's my heart. What we're essentially doing when we say that is, here's my heart, take and seal it for your purposes. And as I was thinking about this in preparation for today, it occurred to me that instead of follow your heart, do you remember what Jesus said? He said, follow me. He said, follow me. And I think that Jesus invites us to follow because our hearts need to be led. Your heart needs to be discipled. Your heart needs to be shepherded. And they can be. It's something that can actually happen. Your heart can be led to, to the right, in the right way or it can be led in the wrong way. The way that we say this to our kids when they're younger is, you are who you hang around. Why do we say that? Why do we believe that? Because we've seen over and over and over again that a heart that is not quite sure which direction it wants to go will follow whoever it's with. It can be led. A heart can be led. And that can happen in a negative way, but it can also happen in a positive way. And that's what I want you to think about. How are the ways that I can disciple my own heart? Think about it like that. It's an interesting way, I think, to frame what we're talking about. How can I shepherd and guide my heart? Now, not you, that you have the ability within yourself, but as a person who's filled with the Spirit of God, you can do this. Now, as you think about, I want you to think about your life for just a minute. To kind of think practically about this. About something, this is the, kind of the evidence that, that this can be done. I want you to think about something that you did not do at one point in your life, but that now you do. Something you used to not like, but that now you like. What changed in those situations? What changed was your heart. And it's likely that it changed because you let it. Now, I'm going to give you a couple of small examples. When I was a kid, and this is not a knock on anybody that's you know, my parents' age, because there was kind of a time in history when people ate most of their vegetables out of a can, right? I, I thought spinach came out of a can. And bless all of you who fed your children fresh spinach as a child, and they liked it. I didn't even know. I, didn't, I don't know that I really had ever had that as a kid until later. And so I decided I did not like spinach. So when fresh spinach became a thing, you know what? I was like, I, I'm not eating that. I know what spinach tastes like. I had, I had to suffer through many a meal where my parents made me eat that stuff. And I'm not doing it again now that I'm an adult, and I can do what I want. But then I tasted it. And now you taste other things that are like not out of a can. They're like fresh, fresh green beans and canned green beans. It's like two worlds, like different worlds, right? And my point is, as silly as that example is, now well, my favorite kind of salad is a spinach salad. How did that change? Because I, I decided that I was going to try it and my heart followed. Another, maybe a better example, is I remember several years ago now, years ago, probably when I was, I was in my early 20s. And I remember singing, we, we, singing in a, in a worship gathering and looking around and there were some people who had their hands raised. And I, and I had seen this before, it wasn't necessarily a new thing, but I was like, you know, I felt compelled to do that, but I was like, but I've never done it before. So I'm not doing it because it's uncomfortable and I don't want anybody to look at me and who knows what they're going to think if they do look at me. 
And I'm not, tell, you know, I'm not telling you what you need to do. I'm telling you my, my personal story. But at some point, I decided that I wasn't being faithful because I could feel this stirring happening in me in worship, and it needed to be expressed because I'm an expressive person. And when I wasn't expressing it, I didn't feel like I was being faithful to God. So I start raising my hands. But you know what? That didn't happen just because I was like, I'm so comfortable to do this. I really want to do this. No, it happened because I decided that I was going to do it. I did it, and then my heart followed. And there are thousands of ways that this happens, friends. Like we don't want to do things because our hearts are stubborn and hard, and we get, you know, sidetracked in lots of different directions. But our hearts can be led. Our hearts can be discipled. Our hearts can go to deeper places than we have allowed them to go because we're the one holding it back. We're the one that's resisting it. God is there ready to walk with us into whatever deeper waters we might want to go into if we will just do it. And sometimes you're not going to feel like doing it. This is the same thing, same thing that I was talking about with forgiveness a minute ago. Sometimes you forgive and then your heart follows. You make a decision to forgive and then your heart follows. You with me? Leaving your way behind in order to follow after the heart of Christ. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Now, many of you have heard me uh, talk about the the TV show, The Chosen. I've sent some emails, some links out for people to watch it. It's been a really important thing, you know, thing for me personally over the last couple of years. I think it's personally one of the most well-produced TV shows about Jesus that I've ever seen. Uh, It follows, if you're not familiar with it, the stories of Jesus calling uh, his disciples to follow him. And again, if you've not watched it, I can't highly recommend recommend it highly enough. Um, I think it actually helps the Bible sort of come to life. You can find it on YouTube. Um, But I I say all that because a couple of weeks ago, I had the privilege of going, and I mean the word privilege, it was a a blessing, though it was hard, of going to church camp with our youth group. And one of the youth ministers uh, that spoke at the beginning of the week, showed a clip, a kind of a, a montage of several different scenes from this TV show, The Chosen, of moments when Jesus called his disciples to follow him. He showed, showed one of Jesus calling Peter and Andrew, P- calling James and John, calling Matthew the tax collector. And, and so this, uh, we're going we're gonna to watch this morning one of those scenes when he calls Peter and Andrew and James and John the sons of Zebedee. And this scene we're going we're gonna to watch is the story of not only them being called to follow, but it actually, the way they did it in the show, they sort of, the gospel writers kind of tell two different versions of the story, one in Luke chapter 5 and one in Matthew chapter 4. And in Luke 5 and Matthew 4, uh, one, of the, one of the versions just tells about Jesus calling Peter and Andrew to follow him. And then and I think it's in Luke's version, there's also a story that goes with it of the miraculous catch of fish. And so in the show, they sort of put these two scenes together from Luke 5 and Matthew 4 and tell the story of the miraculous catch of fish that moves Peter from following his way to following in the way of Jesus. I want to watch this together. I'm not sure if you're watching online if it's going to work, so you may just hang out for about four minutes uh, because of copyright things. Put that down for work. a catch. A little farther out. I don't have a quarrel with you, teacher. We've been doing this all night. Nothing. 
too worried. My brother and the baptizer. <laughs> you are the Lamb of God, yes? I am. Depart from me. I am a sinful man. You don't know who I am and the things I've done. Don't be afraid, Simon. I'm sorry. We, we've waited for you for so long, we believe. But my faith, I'm sorry. Lift up your head, fisherman. <laughs> what do you want from me? Anything you ask, I will do. Follow me. as well. Yes, you, James and John, come, follow me. I'll take the fish to the market and settle up Simon's debt. I'll get some help to fill both of these boats. Are you sure? Yes, go. What will you tell Ima? <laughs> We've just been called by the man we prayed for our entire lives. And you ask me, what will I say when you miss supper? <laughs> go, now. I want to show this instead of reading from Luke 
uh, chapter 5 or Matthew chapter 4 in hopes that it would help kind of the story come to life in a way that uh, maybe it wouldn't if I just read the words off the page uh, in the Bible. But I want to I highlight the way that they depict this scene uh, is, is what I'm talking about. Uh, that it's not just a casual following, that there was a significant decision that these disciples had to make, uh, men and women who would choose to follow Jesus, to leave something, to leave their way, to leave their life, to leave their decisions aside and to follow Christ instead and to let him have the authority over them. It isn't trust your heart, it's trust in the Lord. It isn't follow your heart, it's follow me. And what Peter learned on this day is that Jesus is the one who can lead our hearts best, that he's willing to embrace and accept and redeem us and put us on a path. And what Peter learned is that his heart wasn't wise enough, discerning enough to be trusted that much, that he needed someone else to disciple his heart, to shepherd his heart. And he learned on that day, it took a miraculous event, it took his his boat beginning to sink, it took a, a catch of fish that was so overwhelming, he had to call other fishermen to help to convince him to open his eyes to see that Jesus was worthy of what he claimed to be. And so he followed him. And the challenge, the call for us this morning, the challenge for us is to do the same. Uh, To acknowledge and recognize the ways that our hearts are deceitful and can lead us in ways that are not what God ultimately wants for us. And instead to surrender our hearts to Christ. To allow him to be the king of our heart instead of us claiming that title for ourselves. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful again for uh, the way that you continue to be patient with us, calling us over and over and over into community with you, into relationship with you. We acknowledge this morning, Father, that that we have all been led astray by our hearts and leading and going where our hearts tell us to go and things that our hearts tell us to do. Instead of maybe acknowledging and recognizing in those moments that we had questions or we had hesitations, but we ignored those things and set them aside and continued to do what we wanted. And we want to be people, Father, who, who take seriously this call to follow Christ, who take seriously this challenge that was first issued with Peter and Andrew and James and John and, and later women like Mary Magdalene, all these people who are early followers of Jesus, who took so seriously this decision that they were willing to leave things behind in order to pursue Christ and to let him lead them where they needed to go. We pray, Father, that you will help us to live in the way of those early disciples, being willing to to set aside things that we need to set aside, to to choose Jesus' way over our way, choose Jesus' heart over our own heart. And we ask, Father, that you'll give us the courage and the strength uh, to step into this way, to acknowledge and to recognize uh, that uh, we, we can often think of ourselves more highly than we ought to, deceiving ourselves and our own abilities to do things when we know good and well that we need you to be our guide. And so we pray, Father, that you will be the king of our hearts, that you will bind our wandering hearts to you, that you'll, you'll help us to live in such a way 
uh, that, that commits to this way of life each and every day, a daily decision to do this very thing. We pray in the name of Jesus. And the church said, amen. If you would stand with me this morning, we're going to sing uh, a song about this very idea uh, that we would invite God to be the king of our heart. And so as we sing these words, I want you to be thinking about uh, what we've just spent the last few minutes talking about together and invite Christ again this morning to be the king of your heart. Let's sing together.